You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Happy New Year. Oh man, somebody starting off the new year asleep. Happy New Year. It's good to see you guys. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, and while you're finding your place, I want to say thank you to Pastor Bobby for, uh, wow, having to fill in at a very short notice last week. Um, so Saturday evening, Christmas Day, uh, started not feeling too well. And um, after the meal we had cooked, uh, that we always cook on Christmas Day, I had no appetite. I thought, man... All the food we got here, and I'm not hungry. There's something definitely wrong. And uh, we started to sit down to eat, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I might be running a fever. So I, I left and went in the other room, took my temperature, and sure enough, I was. And I didn't know what it was at that point, so I called Bobby. I said, you're up. I said, it's like 7 o'clock Saturday night. I said, it's, it's you, bro. And um, he said, well, is it COVID? I said, well, I don't know. I don't have a test. He said, well, I've got one. So he came by, stuck it in my mailbox, um, I tuck it, and that thing turned red within three minutes. So yeah, I was eat up with it, apparently. Um, and by Wednesday, I was, I was negative. Uh, you know, just had some serious fatigue and loss of appetite. So I, I was very thankful that uh, that was pretty much the extent of it. And, and yes, I wouldn't be here this morning if I wasn't negative. So um, I appreciate Bobby and, um, and just his willingness to just step right in and, and keep on trucking. Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to be walking through the book of Jeremiah over the next several weeks. And you may be asking, why in the world would we jump into a major prophet to start off the year? Uh, Well, there's several reasons. One uh, is I think we need some hope. With all that uh, you have been through, that your family has been through, all that we've been through as far as a culture since uh, March of 2020, I think um, some hope is appropriate. Now, you may be thinking, well, I know enough about the Old Testament prophets to know that I didn't think there was a whole lot of hope to be found, that their messages were messages of judgment, and yes, that is true. Uh, But there's a lot of hope in the book of Jeremiah as we walk through this book, and I want you to see that. I want you to see that not only there's hope, but I want you to see how God works in really, really difficult circumstances, because I'm of the opinion that even though This COVID pandemic has been very, very hard on all of you. I know that you've lost loved ones, friends. I know that even beside the COVID, all the other things that have come as a response of that has been difficult. I believe that God is speaking. I believe he's speaking very loudly. I believe that that through all of this, God has had a purpose and a plan, and I believe that God is unveiling that purpose and that plan right in front of our eyes if we'll take time to see it. But also, the book of Jeremiah is a message of warning. I think that we can get so caught up in our lives and so caught up in in the day-to-day that we miss that God may be saying something to us that may actually be a warning that we might want to take heed to. So let's pick it up in Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. 
But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set up his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all of its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all of their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for works, arise and say to them, everything I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Father, as we look forward into a brand new year, we can't help but look back and say thank you for all that you've brought us through this past year. Father, our tendency is, is to complain about how hard it was. Our tendency is, is to look at, at all the hard times. And yes, Father, I know that for many in this room and many that are watching online that the pain and the hurt of this past year is still very real. But Lord, we want to pause and we want to say thank you. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the health that you've given us. We thank you for the grace that you've poured out into our life, that every time we got it wrong, your grace was sufficient to forgive and to heal. We thank you for this fellowship. We thank you, Father, that not only have you held us together, but Father, I believe we're stronger now than we've ever been. Father, I believe that the mission that you've called us to is as clear as it's ever been. So Father, we thank you as we move into this new year. Father, we know that this new year has challenges. We know that it has blessings. We know, Father, that there's things we're going to have to face this year that we never thought we'd have to face. But Father, just as you said to Jeremiah that you will be with him, you are with us. And Father, that brings great comfort and great hope. So Father, we seek your face this new year. And Father, we seek to be about the kingdom work that you've given us to do. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. A few years ago, I was at a pool party that we'd been invited to, our whole family, and there were several other families there that we knew. And there was this one family that we kind of got to be friends with, and, and he was a pastor in this area. And he and I were sitting at the pool edge with our feet in the water, and all the kids were in the pool. And I don't know if you're like this, but at a pool party, if my kids are in the pool, I don't take my eye off that swimming pool. I, I just, I just kind of keep an eye on things, making sure that not only my kids are safe, but all the other kids. And and we're sitting there, and he and I are talking about, of course, ministry and church life and what God was up to. Well, his 11-year-old son was in the pool, 
and he was on the deep end of the pool. And I know it, when he first got in the pool, he was staying up on our end, the shallow end. But I noticed he kind of moved on down to the deep end of the pool, and it looked to me like he was struggling. It looked to me like he was in trouble. He had his arm around one of those air-up, blow-up toys, and it looked to me like he was doing everything he could to get his face out of the water. Well, all the kids are playing all around him, splashing. and So right in the middle of the conversation, I look over at my friend, and I said, um, hey, is, is your son okay? He said, oh, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. No big deal. He's good. I'm like, okay, and we just keep talking. Well, I just keep watching. And I could see him go down, and his, his tiptoes are on the, on the bottom of the pool, and he pushes up, and he, he's, he's struggling. So I look at my friend again, and I said, hey, uh, are you sure he's okay? Yeah, he, when he starts playing in the pool, he'll actually play like he's drowning. And I'm thinking, that's a really bad idea. But hey, you're the dad, not me. And he says, he's fine. Like, okay. Well, we keep talking. And finally, I, I'm at the point now where I'm pretty sure he's not okay. So I look at dad again. I said, dad, I'm, I think you need to do something. I think, he's, I think he's in trouble. Well, before dad can speak, his wife, who is fully dressed, they've been at a church event. She had on her full dress clothes, nails done, hair done. Before he can speak, she jumps into the pool. Talk about a bad parenting moment. You're getting ready to hear one of the worst. She swims over, grabs the son, pulls him over out of the pool, gets him up on the pool deck. She was a lifeguard at one time. Rolls him up on the side, and there's water coming out of this kid everywhere. He's coughing, and he's gagging. And I'm sitting there looking at this, and I look over to my friend, and all the color has drained out of his face. He's African-American, so he was pale as he's ever going to be in that moment. And in that moment, he realizes for the first time that his son was actually drowning in that pool while he sat and watched. Because in his mind, he had justified that his son was okay when in fact his son was not okay. But I'll tell you what he was most worried about more than anything else. The wrath of his wife. <laughs> and let me tell you, I'm over at the pool. I see him over and his wife. They're sitting on a bench on the other side of the pool. And all I can see is the back, her backside, but I can see that arm. And I want you to know that uh, it was on like Donkey Kong over there on the other side of that pool while their son is still coughing up water. Now, the reason I share, you, share that story with you is because we can fool ourselves into thinking that everything is okay when, in fact, everything is not okay. Now, I know as we begin 2022, you're thinking about maybe some resolutions. You're thinking about, you know, I, I need to lose a few pounds, or maybe you're thinking about, you know, I'd really like to get off that cholesterol medicine or get off that blood pressure medicine, so I'm going to hit the gym and start working out. I'm, I'm really going to be committed to it this year past March. You know, I'm, I'm going to be committed this year. So you're kind of running all those things through your mind about how you need to eat better. And, and most of those resolutions focus on our physical well-being. But let me ask you a question. Are you asking any questions about your spiritual well-being? Or are we simply saying that I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay? Because I think if we're saying that, we're going to miss out. Because when the warnings come, if we live in this false world that everything is okay and that I'm okay and you're okay, if we continue to live in that false world, even when the warnings come, we simply ignore them. And we can ignore them so much to the point where your own son is in a pool drowning right in front of you and you don't even recognize it. 
Jeremiah is going to be called at age 17 to go to the southern kingdom and preach and teach a very hard message from God. Now, before we can get into this, I need to give you just a little bit of background on what's going on here. In the Old Testament, there is some historical moments in the Old Testament that are huge. One of them, there are many, but one I want you to focus on is if you go back under David the king and his leadership, the nation was unified. All 12 tribes of Israel were all unified under his leadership. And under his leadership, the kingdom expanded. It exploded in power and wealth and influence. David dies. Solomon, his son, comes on the scene. And Solomon has more wealth than anything the world has ever seen. His kingdom is still expanding. Everything is wonderful and grand, even so much so that Solomon is able to build a temple for God. Well, it's not long after that that Solomon in his pride and his arrogance ends up having some serious issues come up in his family. And one of the issues, one of the results of the issues that comes up in his family is one of his sons turns against him. And in all of that, all that goes on in Israel's history, what ends up happening is this kingdom of 12 tribes that were unified under David, they split. And 10 tribes moved to the north, we call that the northern kingdom, and two tribes remain in the south, and we call those the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Now, in the tribe of Judah, or in the region of Judah, is the city of Jerusalem, with its walls, its inhabitants, the temple. And so Jerusalem is right there in Jeru Judah, and it's part of the southern kingdom. Now, at the time Jeremiah is writing, the northern kingdom, those other ten tribes, they've already been judged by God. And they were judged because of idolatry. They were judged because they turned their hearts and their lives and their backs on God. Well, now God has a message for the southern kingdom. Now, he sent other prophets their way, but they have ignored every single one of them. Jeremiah is going to be the last one. And Jeremiah, at 17 years old, is going to be sent to a nation that doesn't want to hear what he has to say because they believe everything's okay. They believe that as long as they go through the rituals, go to the temple, offer the sacrifices, as long as they go through the rituals of religion, everything's okay. They're just like my friends sitting next to the pool saying, oh, he's fine. When in fact, he's not fine at all. Jeremiah is going to be called to this ministry even before he's born. The Bible says that while he was still in the womb of his mother, God had already set this young man apart for this ministry and for this calling. But this calling that Jeremiah has got to fulfill is not going to be easy because he's going to have to speak a message to a group of people who don't want to hear it. He's going to have to speak to the priests and to the leadership of Israel of that southern kingdom who believe they already know everything. So why in the world would they ever listen to a 17-year-old Jewish boy who says he has a call of God? You see, I believe that every single person, as we look into 2022, I believe that every single person in this room has a calling on their life. Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 2. He says that you are his workmanship, created in God's image, recreated in Christ, and you are created for a purpose. And that God has laid out a path for you to walk. Jeremiah had a path laid out for him to walk. You have a path laid out for you to walk. And I will tell you, you will never find joy, you'll never find peace, you'll never find true life until you walk that path. Does God still call people today? Does, does God still call people to speak truth to a culture that doesn't want to hear it? 
And if he does, is he calling you? Let's take a look at Jeremiah. Let's look at his calling first. Look at verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God says that, that what was inside the womb of Jeremiah's mother was not tissue. It was not a fetus. It was a human being in God's eyes, a human being that God has already set apart for a specific ministry and a specific duty. This is a rare thing, but in Scripture we find this. We find it with John the Baptist, where God had called him to be the forerunner of Jesus. But here in Jeremiah, we find out that Jeremiah was already set apart to be a prophet. Now notice how he responds to God's words to him. Verse 6. He says, then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a teenager. He's 17 years old when God speaks to him. And God says to this 17-year-old, I'm going to send you to a bunch of old guys, priests, leaders of the nation. And these priests and these leaders of the nation have already given themselves to worship of idols, so I'm going to take a 17-year-old, someone that nobody expects to, to speak the truth, someone that, that nobody expects that God would ever use a 17-year-old, really? And that God's going to send that 17-year-old to a nation that is going to reject everything that he has to say. Jeremiah's ministry is going to last 40 years. Now get this. Now Jeremiah doesn't know this. But over those 40 years of preaching God's word, not one single person repents. Not one single person that we have in Scripture says, oh, okay, well, Jeremiah, I see, I see the problem. I see what you're saying. And, and, I, and I'm going to turn back to God, and I'm going to give my life back to God. Not one single person in 40 years, and this 17-year-old is going to be called to a ministry that's ultimately going to be a failure in human eyes. But yet God's calling him. You see, God doesn't call you just so you can be successful. Sometimes God calls you to a hard ministry or to say a hard thing. And yes, it may blow up, blow up in your face. And yes, it may not go well at all. But God calls you to be light in a dark world. He called Jeremiah at this point in history to go to a nation that was in darkness. And Jeremiah was set apart at birth for this very purpose. But what does Jeremiah do? Well, what all of us do. We offer excuses. Well, God, I can't go. I mean, I'm just a teenager, and I don't know how to speak. I mean, I, if I was a 17-year-old in Jeremiah's shoes getting this kind of request from God, that's exactly what I would say. God, how in the world am I going to go speak to these elders who, who have been leading the nation for 40, 50 years? Listen to what God says to him. God says, do not say that I am only youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. The first thing God says is don't look at your age as a detriment. Teenagers, let me speak to you just a moment. If you're into teenage range, college age range, let me, let me just speak to you just a moment. This church exists not only for you just to come and be, be here for worship. We exist to equip you and to send you out. We're here to help you grow up in Christ. But, but not only that, we're here to say that this church is your church. 
We're not waiting for you to turn 21 or 22 or 25 or get married to come back and and then be part of the church. If you're in fifth grade and you put your faith in Jesus, you are part of this church. If you are in eighth grade and you put your faith in Jesus, you are part of this church. And we want you to be involved in the life of this church. The student pastor that you're going to be meeting next weekend, Paul Mansfield, one of his callings, one of his gifts that I have seen in his ministry as we've talked, and yes, we've been through the whole review process, one of the things that I see that God has given a a gift to this man to do is to take teens and students, help them grow up and be involved in the life of the church. That's why we're considering him and want you to consider him as our student pastor. Because I believe whether you're a child, whether you're a teen, whether you're college age, it doesn't matter if you're 16, 17, 18, 13, 14, 12. It doesn't matter. That is not a detriment. God has a calling on your life if you've put your faith in him. But let me jump to the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're 55, 65, 75, and you're saying, you know, I did my part. I did my part in serving the church when I was younger. I've done all I needed to do back then. So right now, I've just got my life in cruise control. God couldn't possibly use me, could he? Oh, man, do we desperately need you. We desperately need your wisdom. We desperately need your your leadership. We desperately need you serving and connecting and sharing the gospel and helping people grow up in their faith. Yes, your job is not done. If anything, you've just begun. Remember Moses, when God came to him and said, hey, Moses, I got a job for you to do. You're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to lead all of my people to freedom. What did Moses do? He offered excuses. Why would you send me? I'm just a sheep herder. I'm going to go with you, Moses. Well, wait a minute. I can't speak very plain. Well, that's okay. I've got Aaron here that's going to help you with that. And then eventually Moses just says, God, send somebody else. And God says, I'm sending you. God is calling you. Notice that Jeremiah steps into the scene of ministry to, to, to speak a message at a time when the nation is in darkness. Remember, Jeremiah is called to speak to God's people, not to the pagan nations around them. If you look at all the ministry of the prophets, what do you find? Over and over and over again. You see the prophets called to speak to God's people. Now, there are times where the prophets will speak to some other nation around them. As a matter of fact, prophets will speak to the nation of Babylon. But Jeremiah is called to speak to the southern kingdom. You know who the southern kingdom are? It's God's people. God's people who believe that everything's okay when everything's not okay. Jeremiah says, I'm just a teen. God says, I'm going to be with you. Because God always equips the called. He always equips you. He always provides what you need. God has never, listen, God would never call you to do something that he's not equipping you and empowering you to do. Back when I struggled with the call into ministry from 2003 to 2005, I offered every kind of excuse in the world. And it came down to one single thing. This is not who I am, God. This this is not what I do. I don't speak to people. I work on machines in a factory. But God saw something in me that I never saw in myself. 
And God says, it doesn't matter what skill set you've got. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you've got a speech impediment. It doesn't matter if you, if you struggle with depression or anxiety. It doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter how your parents treated you. It doesn't matter if you had an addiction. It doesn't matter any of that. I am calling you, and if I call you, I will go with you. And church, he's calling you. What excuses are you offering? Or are we simply saying, I'm okay? I'm good, God. I don't really need anything else. Notice what God does. He, he equips the call. He says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. This is in verse 8. Now, it's interesting that God says, don't be afraid. That kind of preempts the idea that there's going to be times of fear in Jeremiah's life. When a, when a prophet will go speak to a nation that's completely turned their back on God, yeah, there can be a pretty bad response to that. And as we walk through this book, you're going to find out that Jeremiah and his message was not embraced as a fact. Jeremiah becomes public enemy number one. They hate him with a passion because he simply speaks the truth. That God equips him, commissions him. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So God takes his hand, and I, I don't know exactly how this happens, but Jeremiah describes it as God taking his hand and putting it on Jeremiah's mouth. And, and God fills Jeremiah up with the words that he wants Jeremiah to speak. Now, this is going to happen several times throughout the book where God is going to give Jeremiah a message. But here at the very beginning, he says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, basically, I'm giving you all you need. For 2022, if you've got Jesus, you've got all you need. I don't know what we're going to face. I don't know. I don't know what I, I've given up on trying to figure the pandemic out and how that's. A, I don't even think about it anymore. I just try to minister where we are and, and help our church family where we are. But I can tell you this: I've come to the conclusion over and over and over again that if I've got Jesus, I've got all that I need. Jeremiah had God put his words into his mouth. Guess what you have that's so far better than what Jeremiah had. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have God in you. You have the author of Scripture who lives in you. That's far better than what Jeremiah had. And guess what? God has given you that resource because he has a calling on your life. And it could be that you're offering excuses. Let me speak to just a few of those callings. Because oftentimes, in the Baptist church, when we hear the word calling, you think of me and you think of Pastor Bobby. When you hear the word calling, you're thinking about calling in vocational ministry, some type of full-time or part-time, bivocational, pastoring a church. That is not the only way we think of calling in the New Testament. Men, you have been called to lead your families by serving them. Men, you have been called to lead your family, lead your home with integrity and character. You have been called to be a man of honesty. You have been called to be a man who doesn't cheat or take advantage of people. You, you have been called, if you are married in the household, you and your wife, men, you have been called to serve your wives and love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. That is what you've been called to do. Ladies, you've been called to honor your husbands, to respect and honor. You have been called to also live a life of integrity and character, to let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
that instead of speaking lies, we speak truth, even though when we speak the truth, it may cause difficulty in our own lives. Young men, young women who, who haven't gotten married yet, you, you've been called to a life of integrity. You've been called by Christ to live differently than the rest of the world lives, to consume entertainment with a watchful eye on what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. You have been called to live the way Jesus lived his life. You have been called to be a little Christ if you've been born again. So all of you, every single one of you have been called, but not only that, every single one of you have been called to be light in a dark world. Now one of the ways that we understand that is by the truth that we speak and the truth that we live. How is your life going to look any different than the darkness in this world if you're joining right in with that darkness? Every born-again believer has been called and separated from the world to live differently. Not because we're better, but because we're different. Students, teens, kids, guess what you're called to do? You're going to love this one. You're called to obey and respect your parents. You are called to respect your parents, even when you don't think they're right. Which is what? Most of the time if you're a teenager, right? The fact is, you've been called to respect your parents, to honor them. And yes, your parents aren't perfect. Mine weren't. I'm not a perfect parent. But they're your parents. And the Bible says you respect them and you honor them. But not just your parents. Can we take it a step further? Your teachers. When you walk into that classroom, how dare you, as a follower of Jesus who was in church on Sunday morning, walk into a classroom on Monday and cuss at your teacher? That's darkness. That's not light. So you've been called to respect and honor those who've been and put in charge of your life. Here's a, here's a flat newsflash for you. You don't know everything. I thought I knew it too when I was your age, but I didn't. So honor your parents. That's what you're called to do. But then there are some of you that are called to something very specific. There are people in this ministry, in our church right now, that I believe God is calling and separating to be a foreign missionary somewhere across the globe. I believe that God is going to call some people out of our church to become pastors. I believe that God has got his hand on some people right now, and he's saying, I'm calling you to talk to your coworker about me tomorrow. So yes, while we all have a general calling to great commission work, I think there are people in this congregation that are being called to a very specific ministry. You know exactly what God is calling you to, and you know what you're doing? The same thing I did, offering all kinds of excuses. Oh, wow, oh, it can't be me. When yet God is saying it's you. Notice the ministry of Jeremiah. Pick it up in verse 11. There's going to be a promise and a prediction. Look at verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. What is going on here? Apparently a vision or maybe, maybe Jeremiah saw an actual almond branch. And there's a play in the Hebrew language here that helps us to understand what's going on in this dialogue. So Jeremiah sees an almond branch. Now an almond branch in Judah, even to this day, was one of the plants that bloomed the earliest in the season. In other words, in the wintertime, 
The way the Jewish people in Judah knew that spring was just around the corner is when they saw the almond trees begin to bloom. So it bloomed earlier than any other plant. And so when the Jewish people saw the almond trees begin to bloom, they knew that spring was waking up. Now, if you look at that word for almond, and you jump down to verse 12 where it says, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching. You see that word watching? In the Hebrew language, the word almond, the Hebrew word for almond and the Hebrew word for watching is very, very, very similar. Almost identical, little bit of a difference in the pronunciation. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, Jeremiah, you see the almond trees when they bloom? You know that spring is waking up? Well, let me tell you, Jeremiah, the words that I'm going to give you to say to the people, I am never going to fall asleep when I tell you those words. I'm going to fulfill it. Because imagine a 17-year-old. He hears what God is going to tell him about God using a foreign army called the Babylonians to judge his own people. Wouldn't you imagine that a 17-year-old would go, really? God, are you really going to do that? And then imagine, imagine in Jeremiah's 20th year of ministry of saying the same thing over and over again. Wouldn't you imagine at year 20, Jeremiah's going, God, what's going on here? What about year 30? What about year 35? What about year 40? Well, by that time, Babylonians were already attacking. But you would imagine that as Jeremiah continues to proclaim this message, he's getting a little weary. God says to Jeremiah, remember, every word that I say to you is going to be fulfilled. Jeremiah, even at age 17, knows that's true. How? God said that he was going to deliver his people out of Egyptian bondage after 400 years. You know what God did? He had set his people free after 400 years. God said that he was going to have a king on the throne in the line of Jesse. You know what happened? David became king. All through the Old Testament, what do we find? God making statements and those statements being fulfilled. At the time Jeremiah is being called to this ministry, guess what is gathering? The strongest army the world had ever seen at that point under the leadership of a king called Nebuchadnezzar. And in 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar is going to lead the Babylonians to attack Jerusalem. And they're going to take away Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, carry them off in 605. He's going to continue to attack, and he'll attack year after year, all the way up to 586 B.C., eventually with the temple being burnt to the ground. So when God says to Jeremiah, I will fulfill my words, make no mistake about it, God will fulfill his words. Why is that important for us in 2022? Because God's made some promises to us. He's going to fulfill every one of them. But not only did God make a promise, he's also going to make a prediction. Look at verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? He said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose on the inhabitants of the southern kingdom. So here's the image. Big old pot, boiling. That pot is sitting in the north, but the pot turns over and spills out this boiling liquid over the south. God says in this prediction, and this is going to be what Jeremiah tells the people over and over again, that there is going to be an army that God is going to use that's going to judge his own people. Now let's just think about that for a moment. God is going to use a pagan Gentile, a godless nation, to judge the people who are in a covenant agreement with God, those who follow God and have put their faith in him. This was such a hard thing to consider that the writer Habakkuk, 
If you look at his writings, writing at the same time, he has a conversation with God about this very issue. God, you mean that you would use these ungodly people to judge your people? And God says, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Now, the Babylonians are going to be judged as well in time. But the southern kingdom is going to be judged by Babylon, and they're going to be carried off, and they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. 70 years. That's the message that Jeremiah is going to proclaim to the people. So not only do we have a promise, but we have a prediction. We have a promise that God will honor his word. We have a prediction that judgment is coming. Guess what? That's the exact same message we have today. Hasn't changed a bit. God's word is true, which means that if you, if you call out to Jesus by faith, he will change your life. He'll forgive you of your past, set you free, give you a brand new life, a rebirth. He says in his word that at the very moment we put faith in Jesus, that we're adopted as sons and daughters. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 says we are no longer condemned. Later in chapter 8 in Romans it says that we are loved by God so much so that nothing will ever separate us from his love. Adopted, sons and daughters. But also we have a message of judgment. That if you reject this gospel and you reject this good news and you reject this love and you reject this grace, then at the moment you die, you will face judgment. And not only that, there's going to be a time where the whole earth itself is going to be judged. So we have a message of truth, God will honor his word, but we also have a, a message of judgment, same message we have today, same message that Jeremiah is proclaiming to these people in the southern kingdom. But that's a dangerous message, is it not? It's dangerous and it's difficult. Listen to this. Listen to why this message is so dangerous. Look at verse 16. He says, And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. God's people, called by his name, set apart for his purposes, given a promised land, given a temple, shown miracles, the prophets have spoken his words, and yet the people think that they're okay. Jeremiah says the reason that judgment is coming is because they have forsaken Jehovah God, and now they've accepted idols. This, this is the very thing that God warned them about over and over and over again. Here, here's the thing. An idol can slip into your life, and you not even realize it. Something can creep into your life that's taking all of your time and your focus away from the Lord that saved you and gave you brand new life. And it can creep in, and slowly but surely, the next thing you know, something else has control of your life. It could be alcohol. It could be entertainment. It could be another person. It could be any sort of things. I think it was R.C. Sproul that said that, that we, as human beings, have the ability to produce idols like an idol factory. Anything in the world that can come between us and God, we then begin to turn all of our attention to it. And here's the thing you've got to understand, is that when we begin to turn our attention to other things, and those things become the most important thing, when someone steps into your life to speak the truth, oftentimes that is met with great anger and a horrific response. I can give you a whole bunch of examples of times in my office here and my previous ministry where... I've had people take a swing at me. Not because I was being mean or ugly, not because I was yelling at them, simply because I took God's word and I would look at the person and I'd say, based on God's word, you are committing adultery. 
had a guy take a swing at me. He knew it was adultery. That was not any new revelation. He knew he'd stepped out on his wife. Had another instance where someone was heavily addicted. Heavily addicted. And in the, in the most loving way that I can, listen, I'm going to speak the truth in love. And I'm going to tell you that the road is out, that the bridge that you're on, I'm gonna, I, will, I will sit across the desk, I will hold your hand, I will pray with you, I will even shed tears with you, but I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to tell you that the road you're on, the bridge is out, and if you stay on it, it's going to bring destruction in your life. I have to do that. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's okay when it's not. I had a person that was heavily addicted, and when I use that term addiction, this person stormed out of my office, slammed my door so hard, almost broke the glass in the door. I didn't say anything that wasn't obvious. But when you start saying that someone else has a different God, that their life is about something other than what they say that it is, it can often be met with great anger and even great hatred. Jeremiah, at 17 years old, is called to go to a southern kingdom and say a message that they are not going to like, that they don't want to hear, and ultimately his ministry, from a human perspective, is going to be an absolute failure. It is dangerous. But he says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm going with you. I've equipped you. I've put my words in your mouth. You've got all that you need. God may be calling you to speak up. And I want to just tell you right now, when you speak up on behalf of Christ and the truth, and you do it the right way with the right motivation, it's not always going to be met with lovey, cushy feelings. It's just not. But don't let that be something that deters you from what God is calling you to do. I've learned about this practically. I didn't know it had a name until recently, but... There's this idea called uh, mutual pretense. Let, let me describe what that is. Um, it's actually a term that they're taught, that's taught in medical schools, to doctors, maybe nurses too, but I've experienced it on the, on the side of, of ministering to people in, in very difficult circumstances. So I go to the hospital, the family's got a tragic situation there, and uh, their loved one's in the emergency room, and Things are not going well, and I'm in the waiting room with the family, and the doctor comes in. I can read that doctor's face when he walks in the room. I know exactly usually what he's going to say just by the way he's walking and the way he's holding himself or her. Sits down with the family. He looks at the family, and they go through all that they've been doing, either in the ICU or in the ER, and they lay all the things out, and then they look at the family, and they say this. We've done all we can do. There's nothing else medically that we can do. And for some doctors, they'll say something like this, you know, you're not ruling out a miracle here. Uh, your loved one is probably not going to live to the end of the day or through the night. That doctor was as clear as he could possibly be. Doctor leaves the room. The family begins to talk. And it's as though the doctor was never there. I've literally had families start talking about, well, you know, when so-and-so gets out of this hospital, you know, we're going to be able to do this, and we're going to be able to do that, and oh, I'm, I'm glad. The doctor said he was doing better, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to this, and I'm going, no, it's not going well at all. 
But it's because in their mind, they can't conceive of the idea that their loved one is in such bad shape that they may not survive, that in their mind, they've pulled so far back from this, they have a presupposition. The presupposition is they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay, right? I've had family members look at me and say, the doctor said things are going well, right? No, things aren't going well at all. You see, where the southern kingdom is, they have mutual pretense. They're going through the rituals. They're offering the sacrifices. The priesthood's doing its work just like it's been doing. They all think everything's okay. And here comes this 17-year-old kid, walks into the fray, and he says, it's not okay at all. As a matter of fact, you guys are far, far from God. Listen, your marriages. We can live under this mutual pretense that everything's okay while the fact is you're just passing each other in the hallway. You're roommates. You're just passing each other in the hallway as you're going to work. The love and the compassion that was once there is no longer there and you're operating off mutual pretense. But everything's okay when everything is not okay. Maybe a child that's addicted alcohol or heroin or whatever. And the parents are like, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, they're not addicted. They've got it under control. No, they don't. And it's far worse than you think that it is. Jeremiah has got to walk in to a nation of people who are living their lives as though everything's okay. You work with people every day that believe everything is okay. You do life with people who think everything is okay when everything is not okay. And you have light in you. If you've been born again, you have come to that place of full surrender to Christ, you are the light to the world. And guess where your light shines the brightest? In those darkest, darkest places when people have fooled themselves into thinking that everything's okay. Maybe God has called you to be the one in your marriage, in your home, on your job, to step into that darkness and go, you know what, folks? It's not okay. It's not okay. God is calling you with a similar message. And the same promises that he made to Jeremiah, he's making to you. I have put my words in you, the Holy Spirit. I have called you to great commission work. I have called you to be light in a dark world. And all we typically tend to do is give excuses on why we can't. I'm too old, I'm too young, I don't have the right words, I don't have the right training. You've got everything that you need. If you've got Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got everything that you need. It's time in 2022 to no longer make excuses. If we're going to be focused on our physical health, oh, I'm going to work out, oh, I'm going to uh, cut some things out of my diet, I'm going to cut some sugar out, I'm going to get off my blood pressure medicine, whatever that may be, Maybe we should take, and that's all great, that's all wonderful. Maybe we should spend as much time talking to the Lord about our spiritual health in our marriage and see if the Lord has some things he wants to say to us. Maybe he's going to send somebody into our path that's going to speak the truth and love to us. Do not respond in fear. Do not blow up at them. Embrace that. God's trying to speak to you. Maybe in 2022, starting off this new year, we need to put as much emphasis and concern on our spiritual, spiritual well-being, where we are with Christ, what Christ is calling us to do. Maybe he's calling you to get saved. Maybe he's calling you once and for all to put your faith in Jesus and have a brand new life. Maybe that needs to happen today. 
But God is calling you. He's speaking to you. And if we will stop long enough to take the mask off and say it's not okay, we'll get to hear maybe for the first time in a long time what God is really trying to say to us. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to live out a brand new year with this family called the church. Father, we are a family of disciples on mission together. And Father, I pray that you would build us even more unified around Great Commission work, that we would offer no excuses, that we would engage in the work that you've called us to do. But Father, at the same time, we would see where we stand with you. See it with clear, clear eyes that maybe we're not okay. And Father, we see all through Scripture people who are not okay. Father, I've been not okay. But your grace has been sufficient. Your mercy is fresh and new every morning. And Father, where my sins abounded, your grace abounded even more. Lord, I'm not going to forsake the calling you've put on my life. But Lord, I believe there's some others here that are called as well. And so, Father, I pray that we would listen to you this morning and not offer excuses. And that 2022 could be a year of surrender and obedience and life and peace enjoy unlike anything we've ever experienced we ask for it in christ's name amen thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon for more information about hyde park baptist church please check out our website hydepark.church or on social media on facebook and instagram at hyde park baptist